Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes, Caught Offside from an undisclosed location in Newport, Rhode Island, an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, the Gold Cup Championship Edition. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney, what's up, brother? Oh, what's up, Andrew? Kings of CONCACAF. For the second time this summer, congratulations to old victorious Andy. <laughs> what a fun, an incredibly fun game. What a fun tournament this wound up being for the U.S. It didn't always go the way that it was maybe drawn up in our heads in some of these performances. I know that there was there were certain wins um, where, you know, after those wins, we came on here, gave our thoughts and I woke yeah. up, you know, the following day to like angry Twitter messages that I'm not, that I'm not hating this team the way that I should be. Uh, I wonder yeah, how I, those, those people were, are awfully quiet today. <laughs> I got it in the middle of the game. Uh, people tweeting saying, uh, we should be four nil down. This is a, this is a bad performance. Maybe I don't understand the game. And I just, I, I can't look at these games or that game last night rather and say something like that. Like there's a, definitely a bit of an understanding gap if you're coming out saying we should have been hammered. Well, it's just, yeah, look, I don't, I didn't want to start this podcast by coming on and scolding a section of the American fan base. This is, no, supposed, no, this is a celebratory no. podcast. Um, although what I would say to that though, is like, I don't know if you, if you walked away from last night's game with anything other than a sense of joy and even a beyond that, even if the U S had wound up losing last night in extra time or in penalties, uh, if you were to have walked away from that feeling, anything other than a sense of being proud for that team and how they performed and how they acquitted themselves against a top notch Mexican side that we all believe to be a very good team. Um, then what are you doing? Then like what? Then why are you even a fan? What is the fun part well, of this? If you on. can't enjoy that, yeah. And forget the enjoyment part just for a second. Let's talk about the way this tournament has been framed. And like you said at the top of the pod, the way this team has been framed. It's a B side. It's a C side. And that the Mexican team, in, in contrast. If we met them in the final or at any stage in the knockout part along the way, we were going to get battered. That was the narrative. That was the view. That was the consensus. They had too many of their senior pros, too many of their first team in it, whereas we had the exact opposite and we were going to get schooled and it didn't happen. Right. I mean, JJ, it's the whole reason that we started this tournament when we previewed it by me saying that this is not a title or bust tournament for the U.S. because I was looking ahead to a game against Mexico. And last night it happened, and the U.S. won that game. And if you're anything other than incredibly proud of this team, then I would I would advise you to reassess your priorities when watching U.S. soccer because it it's not going to get a whole lot greater than the fun of what happened last night. Um, man, what what a bizarre viewing experience for me. I, I mean, I saw lots of messages on Twitter. Uh, where are you? Get him out of his anniversary dinner. I should say too, this wasn't, it wasn't just some, like I'm away on a trip right now with my wife for the first time in years. Um, mm. Because this isn't just like Sunday. It's our 10th wedding anniversary. So we thought, you know, we haven't been away from the kids in, in a long time, the pandemic, all that stuff. We just kind of like, this was the right time to, to get away. Mm. Obviously it wound up aligning in a, in a bad way with 
this tournament and the final last night, but I was able to watch. It was not spoiled for me. I was out last night having dinner. Um, there was only one text message. I, I, like, you know, to do this, to DVR a major sporting event that you know you're going to be getting messages about, like you have to have the, like I always say, the discipline. It's all about discipline. You have to be disciplined to not look at your phone. For some people, that is impossible. And I respect that. We're in an era now, a, a, a culture where you can't be, detach yourself uh, from your phone at, at times. I get it. But I was disciplined. The only time I forgot, I looked at it once when my phone buzzed and I just instinctively looked at it. And all I saw was Paul Areola in all caps with many exclamation marks. And so like what a misdirection it was, because when I saw that, I was like, oh, damn it. Now I know Paul Areola is going to score a goal and I, not, oh, damn it. Like I'm mad he scored, but oh, damn it. Now I know that that's a thing that's going to happen. Little did I know it was the complete opposite of him scoring a goal. It was him uh, in some ways squandering a couple massive goal scoring opportunities. But other than that, JJ, I started watching this at about midnight last night, finished up at almost 3 a.m. by the time it was all said and done. Uh, and, and I did so without knowing what happened. And God, what a feeling it was when Miles Robinson scored that goal. It was so, it took all my effort at 2.45 a.m. to not scream and wake up everyone in this hotel that I'm currently staying at. Uh, right. Just what a because you start to get that penalty dread in the in the pit of your stomach of just like this is steamrolling towards penalties. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? All I can say is it's it's going to be stressful and you want to avoid that. And so when you see, you know, the foul occurs. Um, and you kind of think, okay, this, like you actually start building the narrative in your own head. This has to be it. Like, this is our chance to avoid that whole mess. Let's do this. And to see them actually do it. Oh God, what a, just like one day we'll sit down and we'll make our list of greatest, um, us men's soccer team moments. And I just like certainly prisoner of the moment somewhat right now, but that's on the list. I don't know where, but scoring that goal. In the 117th minute, the latest game-winning goal in the history of a Gold Cup final. Um, God, it was just such a just a fun thing to see. Um, to the point where, I mean, I, I made it to some of the post-game stuff on Fox as well. Alexi Lalas was in tears. He couldn't yes. speak at the start of the post-game show, which led me to wonder, where is Morris Adu? Like, do something, man. Rob Stone is talking to you guys. One of the two of you can't talk right now because he's crying. Like, Maury, say something. Like, help. Oh, no, no, no. No, ne absolutely no. This is the time for Mo Adu to keep it shut because that is a, a piece of perfect VT of a man deep in his feelings and in, in his emotions, a man who is invested in this game, invested in this team as well, let's be honest, because... Yes, definitely. You know, like, Alexei Lalas is as... as you know, I, I don't like the term. It sounds disrespectful to say it, but he's a cheerleader for for Major League Soccer, and and it, and he's a, a deep supporter of the game. He he played in the league. He was an administrator in the league. So yeah, he I, is always you know cheerleader. Vaunted. Though I f I feel like that carries with it a, a connotation that I don't know if I'm totally comfortable with because he is not. You know, yes, he he openly supports them, and that's. I'm fine with that. I, I there are moments when I, I like say I wasn't I, fine with it, but I'm I, saying, I just, but, but, that, but like, I feel like that carries with a connotation that he's not critical, that he is all, he's one of these guys. Who's that's always not true. Find that's not what lining. I said. 
No, I know, no, but no, I'm no. saying that when people hear you say he's a cheerleader, that's what that's what people will think. And that and I qu- I qualified by saying that that was that is inarticulate of me, and it was the one word that popped into my head. And I apologize for saying that word because that word isn't isn't correct. But he is a staunch supporter of the league, and he believes in the league, and that is fine. And you know, I'm not saying he's not critical. Anyone who listened to his analysis of Daryl DK, if they thought my yeah. analysis of of DK after the after the Canada game was rough. I mean, Alexi was was pretty was pretty strident in his views on where he is in the pecking order last night too. But that's that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, he is someone who believes strongly in this league, and he do, he takes an inordinate amount of abuse for 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 that. Um, he does take a lot of flack for it, and for the league to have produced, or rather, for the individual teams and the academies, whatever one, way you want to frame it, to have produced as many players as they did on the field last night, that were excellent absolutely excellent performances kellen acosta miles robinson in particular miles robinson looked like a a rolls royce of a center half last night you know for all his misses and faults paul Ariola put in an immense shift you know those those things mean a lot to alexi so moedu was right to keep absolutely quiet and just let that emotion flow from from alexi lalas because from a cynical a media TV standpoint, that's the kind of stuff you love. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And I also, I do get, you know, I don't mean to, I hope it doesn't come across as, as being belittling anyway in that outpouring of emotion, because I do get it. It was something, it was really cool to see that group of players being able to celebrate in that way, in such dramatic fashion, because look, like, you know, we're watching the Olympics right now, for example, not even talking from a soccer perspective, but just like generally speaking, um, and like U.S. American sports, for better or worse, like they're leading in gold medals or, or not gold medals. They're leading in overall medals. They're second, I think, behind China in gold medals. Like by any metric, it's just like that's dominance. But like American sports are in a place where no, unacceptable. We need to be better in all of these things. And so like the role of underdog is just typically one that American sports fans don't get to play. And this team clearly was an underdog. Uh, in this game and you know you could even say maybe in points throughout this tournament uh, you know they're closer to the competition I think we thought coming in than um, than in in other tournaments if we had had some of our marquee players and so to watch an underdog team pull that off last night uh, against its biggest uh, its biggest rival it was really fun and it was you know it's easy to see why somebody who is so invested in this program and in this team and in this group of players could get kind of lost in that moment. So it was, it was very genuine. It was raw. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, it, it spoke to the feelings of a lot of fans last night watching that. Cause that was, it was just a great moment for us soccer. Uh, let's go through some of it now, JJ. I mean, obviously the game had a lot of twists and turns uh, a lot of near misses for both teams. I mean, for the most part, what I respected so much about the U S performance in this game um, is that they were pretty much, whether it was by choice or not, they were basically asking their back line to absorb a lot of pressure. And the fact that the U S got out of this game without conceding a goal, yes, near misses certainly. And Mexico will look back at the tape of this and think, how did we not score there? Um, you know, I'm remembering certain moments uh, who was a, per- I know Peralta had a couple chances where you kind of thought, good Lord, when is this guy going to score? Pineda, it's Mac- wasn't it? Or Pineda. Yeah. Not Peralta Pineda. Um, you know, it was, it felt like a matter of when, not if, and it never happened. The U S well, you know, they, they absorbed pressure there. You know, they, they did their job. They held up 
And uh, in the end, it was actually one of their defenders who had the, the crowning moment of the game scoring a goal himself. Um, I agree with that analysis broadly, but not entirely. So I, I thought you were right. I thought that, first of all, one thing that hasn't changed. Um, we, we talked about the reconstruction of this side last night under, under Greg Bearhalter and the, the general sense that this team has been pulled from the ashes of Trinidad and Tobago in 2017. And I agree with that. But one thing that hasn't changed between the, the Klinsman and um, Bruce Arena eras and then coming back into this new era with, with Bearhalter, we, against the top sides, will not dominate possession, generally speaking. And we certainly won't do it with that side that we put out last night or that midfield. So I was ready for Mexico to have lots of the ball. But if you look at the, not so much the quantity of chance, but the quality of chance that Mexico created, I thought the U.S. held them to very little. I, through 90 minutes, the XG was 2.02 for Mexico, 1.32 for the United States. Mm -hmm. Matt Turner, in the second half, despite those two Pineda chances, which, yes, I think should have been converted, the first one came at an awkward height. He hit his knee. He got across James Sands, and it went wide. And the second one, he dug it out of his feet, had all day to hit the target and pulled it wide. But apart from that, Matt Turner didn't have a save to make in the second half, according to Fox's statistics last night. Yeah. Think about it. No, Think, that, that is that is true. Although you that did, is th- you did just lay out the argument as to why sometimes looking at saves or shots on target is you know is not always super accurate. No, 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 no. no, no. Look, I I will defer to to uh, Jurgen Klopp on this. You know, teams are going to create chances, and teams with that amount of possession are going to create chances. But I felt the U.S. was incredibly well organized and compact on the field last night in Las Vegas, and and limited. You had the Matt Turner save early on from the Funes Mori header, which was an excellent save. It's actually a better save when you see it the second time round on the replay because he, he gets one hand to it. Um, and then you had, he had a second save again from, I believe, Funes Mori, which was at his near post, which was less of a chance. It hits him on the knee. It's a tight angle. And Funes Mori's touch has taken him a bit too wide. I don't think it's really a big quality scoring chance. But I thought the US did very well in that regard. There was, there was a few times when... Uh, Tecatito caused problems, but uh, there was an interesting tweet sent to us uh, prior to the game uh, because once journalists got into the the stadium at Las Vegas, Andrew, (laughs) one of the big things that came out of it was how narrow it was. Um, It was narrow and it was short. Now, I don't know how much shorter it was, but we know how much narrower it was. It was 69 yards wide and your, your standard national field in the United States is between 70 and well, the minimum usually is in around 70. So 69, it's, it's tight. And you could tell that by the edge of the 18 yard to the touchline. And someone asked us, who is that going to suit? And I thought, well, on the one hand, if you've got a tricky winger like Tecatito, if he beats one of the, one of our fullbacks, you know, he's in pretty much. (laughs) There's, there's a lot less space. Once he, once he does that, he's in. Um, and then I thought about it from a, a, being a compact, being, being, you know, closing off gaps and being very narrow. This is going to suit the United States. And that's, what I, that's what I would think, too. I would think it would suit whoever is planning on defending more. Correct. 
and I felt it did. Now, am I saying that the, you know, the five, six, seven yards um, less in the field or, you know, made this massive difference? I, it did a little bit. I'm sure it did. And it suited the United States as well. But I thought the United States were... We talked on the last podcast about how the US tend to enjoy, or this team in particular tends to enjoy its best spells. And I said, it's around the hour mark where the dominant side, Qatar in the, fir- in the semifinal and Mexico in this game, begin to, um, how should we put it? The, the fatigue comes into it a bit more. Play begins to be a bit more stretched. Things get a bit more scap- scrappy and gaps appear. And lo and behold, particularly to give Bearhalter his due, with the substitutions that were made, there was a period after those, those, uh, those uh, we'll call it the Pineda incidents, the Pineda chances, after that, where the U.S. really, really grew into the game, and I thought that was the winning window. And when we didn't score uh, through the, the Zardes bundle and then the quite incredible save from the Mexican keeper to deny Paul Ariola, mm. um, when we didn't score at that moment, Andrew, I had, I had my worries that the winning window had closed, but it hadn't. No, it certainly hadn't. And, and just to go back to the defending topic real quick, I, I don't think we disagree quite as much as you would say. Um, I mean, when I say the U.S. absorbed pressure, it's pretty much what you're describing is, is what I mean. I mean, the, Mexico had the bulk of the possession and they were not able to do a ton with it. Yeah, like no. I said, they had a couple chances, but they couldn't do a ton with it because the U.S. defended very well. And, 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 uh, and, and cross weirdly, after cross was repelled, cleared. You know, So did, I, I think we I kind of you, agree I, on it, but you, you crave argument you crave no, no, no. uncomfortable no, no, no. conversation oh, no, no no this is just giving a bit of context to to my thoughts around the game I, I wanted to ask you andrew did you at any point especially with the narrower the narrower field mm-hmm. think it was weird how many crosses the mexicans mexicans were putting in crosses with height but crosses with little pace like clipped crosses when drilling the ball between Matt Turner and the last defender, the center back through the corridor of uncertainty or getting to the byline and drilling it across would have been much better. They did very little of that in the first half in particular. They were always seeming to try, just because Funes Mori is, is, is decent in the air, air, they were always trying to find him. And I thought that's not the way to go because with Miles Robinson in the form that he was in, like, you know, the U.S. won a lot of, of, of headers and clearances and blocks there. And it was compact and it, I just felt it really suited the U.S. And by the way, in the first half, some of the nicer moves, passages of play that were put together were put together by the U.S. And, you know, if, if we look to the, the important thing that, that I think I always want to see or I would like to see Bearhalter's team do more and in a more coordinated fashion is press. And when the Jet won the ball and uh, was it from Salcedo and slid in Ariola, that was the best chance of the game. Yes. You know? And again, I, you know, I, Bearhalter had spoken uh, on Saturday about to the press about saying, you know, we're not going to get many chances here. And when we do get them, we got to take them. And that one was, oh, I, I was, when that one didn't rattle the back of the net, Andrew, I, I, even at that early stage, I was concerned. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could be concerned. That's fair because it was so early. Um, you still thought there was so much game left, which is why the second Ariola chance uh, that he wasn't able to convert, which wasn't quite as much on him. A much tougher chance, wider yeah. angle, uh, closing defenders, what you would have wanted. The keeper smothered it, essentially. But you know, the, the space 
for Ariola to even be able to lift that enough to get it over the keeper, it was always going to be an incredibly difficult task to ask him to do that. I'm talking, I think we're at, we're talking about different chances here. The second breakaway chance on the left-hand side that he had, I think it was just before halftime. Oh no. Um, yeah. I was talking about in the second half. Yeah. I know where he's, uh, he's shot across uh, the keeper. Um, well, he's dry. It was a uh, Williamson played a lovely ball to him on the break. It was uh, 50 minutes. Excuse me. Um, it was really, really, really good. Uh, good ball from Williamson. He is isolated, but he's got to hit the target or he's got to force the keeper into, into some kind of a stop. And he didn't. Um, but you know, I was at halftime. I don't know how you felt. I thought I, I felt really good about the performance. I felt good about where they were in the game. And, um, and you know, my, my belief in, in this kind of magic zone that opens up for this team where, where, where the play is broken and they can, they can excel. It came to pass. Yeah, it did. I mean, let's go, let's, I guess, talk about, you know, later in the game now, it gets to extra time. Um, and, you know, these guys, Miles Robinson, Kellen Acosta, who have both played, Miles Robinson, I believe, played every single minute of this tournament. Um, mm. And Kellen Acosta, who was just relentless last night, the number Covered of times, so much ground, the number of times that he won back possession for Mexico. I mean, it was, it was on yeah. repeat. It was just like one cloned play after another. Now, That's, if you had one, if you had one criticism of the amount of, from last night was the amount of times the U S nipped in, got a ball because in the first half, I felt that midfield weren't competing, that they weren't winning enough second balls. They weren't winning enough jewels. And then as, as the game wore on, yeah, they did. But if I had one criticism, Andrew, one thing that kept making me pounding, pound my fist into the sofa was when they got it back, you got to keep it. And there was far too many times they gave it away. Yes, that is true. I think that was even, I think Stu Holden even made a point of saying that on the broadcast that, you know, you're right. There was a lot of quick possession. It seemed like they were more interested, depending on where it was in the field that they won possession back. But if they won it kind of in their own end, Mm -hmm. it was, it wasn't going to be, okay, let's work our way out and see if we can build something here. It was kind of just like, let's smash one down, you know, a little bit of uh, Charles reap long ball tactics to see if they could get something on, on like a counter in that way. But can I, yeah, Sorry to cut across yeah, you yeah, yeah. talking about Charles Reap, though. But did you not? Were you not heartened last night? From uh, we know how Bearhalter wants to play, and sometimes if we had a criticism of the the early Mexico meetings, the one in uh, late 2019 at the Meadowlands, where Zach Steffen was trying to play through Aaron Long, and we were trying to play out from the back, and Mexico were pressing us and and really giving us a tough time. Yeah, it was terrifying. That, it was terrifying. One thing I would say that you have to that you have to kind of acknowledge is last night it was refreshing to see uh, when when Bearhalter predicted to be a Mexican press, he got Matt Turner to hit your regular goal kick, your regular kick out, you know, go long and try and you know win the second ball. Now I don't think we were good enough winning second balls. That's one thing, mm-hmm. uh, or winning jewels in the air. But you know, it was good that we we didn't try to. We could adapt. We could do something different. We, we weren't, you know, wedded to this one way of playing out from the back. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and then ultimately like, getting to the goal now, uh, it was, it's, it's all, there's almost an irony to one of our greatest complaints throughout the course of this tournament, winding up becoming the greatest triumph of this tournament, because we have said repeatedly that for the U.S. to win some of these games, it felt like they were going to have to do so by being successful on set pieces. And 
that had been a struggle for them throughout, whether it was because of poor delivery, uh, whether it was just because they couldn't get guys in the right positions, whether at times maybe it was from lack of imagination on being willing to try some different things to get it to work. Um, but, you know, last night when they needed it to work the most, it all came together. Kellen Acosta's ball in was perfect, JJ. It was a, a gorgeous in swinger, the kind that I dream of. Um, and Miles Robinson met it perfectly, barely onside. It was extremely close, but he's onside, uh, rose up to get it. Bang, great header down in, at the keeper's feet. Never really had a chance at it. And it's uh, it's one of the great goals we've seen for the U.S. in recent soccer history here. Um, it was interesting because Acosta had taken a few corners in the second half uh, where he was trying to score an Olympico and put it in directly from the corner, it seemed. Yeah. The first one, he whipped in viciously and caught the Mexican defense out. And the second one, he hit the side net. It was a little bit frustrating, but you could tell that he was, he was feeling himself in terms of deliveries. Fox, right at the end of the game, played a pitch side behind the ball angle of Acosta's free kick. And it is, it's glorious, Andrew. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm one, I have been one of his, uh, I wouldn't say biggest critics, but like when I have seen him on US team sheets and US squads before, I have kind of rolled my eyes because I thought, you know, I think it's in my mind, I'd seen enough from him kind of, you know, a bit irritated by selection. What does he do? Don't know. But, but last night, you know, he was, he covered so much ground. He was so energetic, uh, so willing to put himself, you know, put himself about for the cause. And, and, and I know these are like the kind of proper football man cliches and things like that. But, but in a game like that, you, you do need to be able to deliver that kind of grit determination. But the, the precision and skill of the free kick was, was what struck me. It was a perfect ball. Now, uh, Miles Robinson is just on side. He times it perfectly. Robinson spoke in the post game about, you know, we were always from set pieces going to try and, and, and get that half step or that, that couple of steps ahead. And he really did it. Uh, he met it. The keeper couldn't do anything. It was kind of no man's land. There was nothing he could do. Um, and the flight of the ball to pick him out in that gap right on his forehead. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an absolutely uh, a brilliant goal to score. And by the way, can I just say, you know, um, it's, you know, we talk about the, the chances that Mexico had, et cetera, et cetera. There, there was, um, there was some really good, good play towards the end of the, the regular time as well. You know, it wasn't just like, it was always going to be a set piece that we scored from, but, but you know, we didn't talk about that hoppy chance where Ariola finds Zardes who kind of whiffs on it and it breaks to hoppy and he has just this really quick feet and a sharp turn, and the keeper makes a really good save. Um, but I suppose, I'm, I'm going to contradict myself here, I suppose at this point in a game, 117 minutes, you know, a set piece is the most likely thing when you're staring down the barrel of penalties. And it was, it was a great set piece yeah. in, a, in a tournament where we've not really had a ton. No, no, that's, that's what I'm saying, is that yeah. it was, you know, it, it'll be the, the defining moment of the tournament, but I just, I don't know that it's the, the fitting one given how a lot of those set pieces went, but well, it was fitting the end, for it's the I, one that matters most. I think it was fitting for Miles Robinson, who's played pretty much every minute of this tournament. And, you know, there's a lot to like there, Andrew. And I'm wondering, are there, are the scouts from Europe, are, are the scouts from the Premier League watching this guy? Because I certainly haven't been paying, paying enough attention to him. And he was really impressive last night. His ability to, first of all, 
his ability to glide across the ground. It's, it's almost like really good center backs have that. They don't run. They're never flustered. It's like, they, <laughs> it's like they're walking on the water, just gliding along uh, like some celestial being. Um, and he doesn't seem to break sweat. He seems very calm. Uh, and he reads the game really well. There was a couple of times last night where there was breaking balls and gaps. He knows when to come. One of the things about a centre-back that reassures you, Andrew, is that they don't, they don't try and compete and win every ball, but they know the ones that are on and that they can make a difference and, and nip in and win it. And he seems to be able to do that. He's very good anticipating things like that. And, you know, we talked about the goalkeeper scenario for this, for this uh, national side on Sunday night's podcast. And I honestly think that as much as we talk, there's, there's an interesting scenario happening with, with goalkeeping for the team. I think there's an interesting scenario happening for the centre-backs. And Miles Robinson has really put his name to the front of the list or towards the top of that list for World Cup qualifying. So let's talk about this. Let's kind of leave sort of like the specifics of the game and talk, and talk about some of the bigger takeaways from this tournament. And okay. you're, you've gone perfectly into one that I want to talk about, and that is the players for this U.S. team, which, again, um, a championship-winning side, but coming into this tournament, an experimental side, the players for this team who raised their profile the most. Because really, the, well, entering this tournament, that's what we thought this was. Who are the guys that will raise their profile that we can then identify as players who will be useful in World Cup qualifying or a World Cup? Um, now, in the end, this tournament was also very much about what Greg Berhalter said it was about, which was winning a championship. Yeah. Um, but I guess we got the best of both worlds here. Both things happened. They won a title, and we were able to, through that, identify guys who can be helpful. Robinson is the obvious one. I thought, I mean, from beginning to end of this tournament, um, I thought he was their best player. Uh, and, and you hit on something with him that is so true, uh, and that is just composure and calmness. Mm. Um, you know, he's he always seems to be in the right positions and he just, even on the ball, he seems very calm uh, at, at, at all times. And yeah. it's, it's a great quality for a guy to have because oftentimes at that position, they're going to be in the center of the fire. Uh, so yeah, I think he's 24 years old. Um, so still young enough where, you know, you're talking about scouts from Europe. I would think, I would think he opened some eyes certainly in this tournament and, you know, beyond whatever eyes he opened from scouts around Europe. I mean, I would have to say he opened Greg Bearhalter's eyes as well, because you're right. If you look at the center back situation, John Brooks is, he's the lock. He's the mainstay right now. Everything is about who can we partner up uh, next to John Brooks. And for any number of reasons, whether it be guys who have been unavailable for injury guys who haven't quite taken a, a stranglehold of that position in the way that we thought maybe they we would have liked to have seen, you know, that, that other spot remains open. Mm. And look, if you're miles Robinson, I don't know what else he could have done in this tournament to put himself in any better of a position to be that guy when world cup qualifying rolls around who lines up next to John Brooks. I mean, obviously there'll be a competition for it, nothing set in stone, but what else could he have done? No, exactly. Um, interestingly, I, I, I think, um, yeah, I don't want to start slagging off anybody else, but, you know, the fact that he wasn't part of the Olympic squad is now looking very questionable. Um, uh, and I know there was reasons for that, but um, he would have been a superb inclusion if they could have made that happen, made that work. Um, on the, uh, on the Miles did... Robinson note, real quick, 
Um, The U.S. obviously were the big winners here, but the quiet, uh, also big winners of this tournament, I got to say, J.J., my Syracuse Orange come out of this with Miles Robinson maybe being, I mean, for me, the best American player of this tournament. I know Hector Herrera technically won the player of the tournament award, but for the the winning team, I thought Miles Robinson was the best player for that team. And then Tejon Buchanan, also of Syracuse, young player of the tournament. So the, the quiet, underrated winners of this. real Plus also Syracuse advanced to the final yesterday of the basketball tournament. A million dollars on the line Tuesday night. What a day it was in central New York yesterday. But anyway. Oh, look, look, I mean, most fans at, at full time, they, they were toasting their nation, of course, but they were thinking of, of Coach Beheim and the, and the Syracuse Orange Man. Absolutely. Yeah, what is great. it you used to always refer to him as? Coach Old Man, right? I forgot his name on a podcast yeah. when, I was doing, when I was riffing on him and, and I called him Coach Old Man. He does often go by that. You, you, you stumbled right <laughs> into it. Uh, but yeah, so Miles Robinson for me, you mentioned the other one, Matt Turner. I mean, he, like, he did not, and then a lot of this is the defending. The defending gets a lot of credit for the stat, but Matt Turner did not concede a goal from open play in this tournament. That is I right. Mean, who, who would have thought the only goal he would concede would, would be against Martinique. Granted it was from the spot, but like, wouldn't have guessed that coming in. And, and like, you know, a lot Can of these, we, um... a lot of these were stressful games, one nils, like close games where one mistake by him could have completely swung the way this tournament was going to go. He was asked to make difficult saves specifically in the semifinal and in the first half of the final. Well, I mean, Again, kind of like Miles Robinson, you know, it's like, what else could he have done to, to really, truly throw his name into the ring? Maybe, maybe, I'm not necessarily saying as the number one, but I mean, we might, maybe, maybe we'll see him starting a game in the upcoming round of World Cup qualifiers. you got that three in a week. You know, they're going to have to rotate. I, I, I'll feel, yeah, he had a heavy touch in the first half, which almost got him into some trouble, almost got him with a penalty, but as a shot stopper, and for the most part, as a ball distributor, I think he's uh, – I won't be nervous if he's out there as this team's keeper in a, in a World Cup qualifier. No, I wouldn't be nervous at all, but Kenneth Baker would be. He contacted, contacted us after uh, the semifinal pod to talk about MLS uh, goalkeepers. Well, not MLS goalkeepers, but Matt Turner and MLS. Another great pod, Kenneth says, but do you think you might have gone a bit overboard with Matt Turner? He's having a great dot, 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 C-level tournament with the exception of Mexico, and he daily trains and plays against MLS teams. And that compares with facing Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, blah, 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 on a daily basis. He's good, referring that's to Zach Steffen. a fair point. He, no offense meant to Matt. He's having a great year, but I haven't heard Pep Guardiola say, we need to get him in here. I think Stack Steffen is going to be the man for a long time. Yeah, where is he going to be the man, though? Like, you might be right, Kenneth. Maybe you can have a goalkeeper that never plays. But, like, if we look at the games he did play last season, like, he's played, what, six games for Manchester City in total, right? That's not enough for a guy who's 26 years of age, in my opinion. And, yeah, he's facing Kevin De Bruyne and Sergio Aguero midweek, or he was facing Aguero midweek. He's facing those guys midweek. Okay, cool, great. And then on Saturday more than likely he's going to be on the bench. And I'm not sure you can keep doing that for much longer. And by the way, has, have any of his performances for Manchester City made you go, wow, that was really, really good? Not really. Look at the FA Cup semifinal. I thought he was, thought he was pretty poor in that game. Um, and, I, and he doesn't wow me for he play, where he plays for the US. And it's easy to have a go 
And believe me, I know it's easy to have a go at Matt Turner being at New England Revolution, but they're one of the better teams in MLS. He's starting games regularly. And right now, as we sit here, Matt Turner has played more games in the last year than either Stefan or Ethan Horvath, who are the two guys who I believe are vying for like that number one spot. So I, I think playing games regularly is much better than being at a really, really good club and just training with top players and never seeing the field. Uh, other guys who raised their profile, we talked about Kellen Acosta. I know you mentioned him. Uh, I think this is an important tournament for him because he's now pushed himself back into the picture of this team. He was essentially out of it for a couple of years, sort of in the wilderness. And now I think people come away from this feeling good with him as a possible Tyler Adams replacement. Should that be the case? Um, you know, James Sands, I think another one that should be mentioned here who had a good tournament, um, maybe somewhat undefined what his role would be, what his best position would be, whether it is central defense, a center back, whether it is some sort of defensive line midfielder. Um, but, you know, he, he had a couple moments here and there that maybe caused you some anxiety. But overall, I think this was a, for a young player. Um, this was a, a really important tournament for him. And the other one who I've said, you know, I felt bad that Shaq Moore didn't start this game tonight because he's had such a good tournament. Bearhalter had to make some really difficult decisions, um, mm. you know, taking out, you know, I mean, he's had essentially, you know, there have been tweaks, but for the most part, he's had a team that he has relied upon uh, to get to this point. Shaq Moore was part of that. Uh, Gianluca Buzio was part of that. And, you know, those guys to, to not have been in the starting 11 tonight, I'm sure those were some uncomfortable conversations for, uh, for old Triple G to have. Um, but, you know, I guess you would say, those when you win, you know, it, it's hard to sit here and say that those decisions didn't work. Um, and the fact that he was able to then bring all those guys on in the 65th minute to make an impact. Um, you know, I, I guess what about triple G JJ in terms of, if we're talking about profiles being raised or what, how do we feel about him now? Well, I was just thinking last night, if I was going to, if we were going to interview triple G right now, where would I say was the lowest point in his managerial moment for the US and how has 2021 turned around into this into this brilliant summer for the men's national team. And I think the development, I think, I think really his convictions of how he wants this team to play. First of all, they're much more organized at the back than they, they've been in a long time. They carry a threat. Uh, he's integrated so many young players and that's all down to him. I think he's done brilliantly, brilliantly, and I wasn't sure that that was going to be the case, say, after an hour in Toronto against, against Canada in October 2019. Yeah, I know you look back on that game quite frequently as, uh, as a low point, and since then it has been pretty good. And this summer in particular, um, for him to have now taken two trophies from Mexico in finals, yes, it's like, you know, there, there will be haters out there but at least for the time being, their their voices have been quieted. I would say somewhat somewhat substantially, like because this is an, again, like we're talking about guys. What else could Matt Turner do? What else could Miles Robinson do? Well, Greg Bearhalter, like results are what they are. What else could he be doing other than winning tournaments? Especially like with like we said with this experimental side against a Mexican A team. I mean, it's it's not a small thing that he just achieved here. No, it's certainly not a small thing, and he can only play the tournaments that are scheduled now and in front of him. But I would like to uh, push against Rob Stone last night. Rob was, you know, obviously elated with the performance, elated with what the team had achieved. But this team has not achieved redemption yet. The World Cup qualifiers are the absolute litmus test here. Yes. Going away 
to teams in CONCACAF outside of the United States, competing, getting results, finishing uh, strongly and going to a World Cup, then we can talk. Uh, then we can talk about redemption. And so let's close on that with the U.S. men's conversation from this tournament, because what I'm trying to figure out in my own head is the link between this and what's to come with World Cup qualifying and if the U.S. do qualify the subsequent World Cup. Does does this mean more than just a standalone tournament that against against somewhat of the odds um, this team went out and, and achieved and won a trophy? Is there more to be like, do we just look at it as, wow, that was a really fun tournament? Okay, next up, let's. It's time for World Cup qualifying, um, and that's a new challenge. Put this behind you, or is this? You know, last night, like the term was being thrown around um, that the U.S. are back. That this is, you know, between what happened at the Nations League and now a, a U.S. B team beating a Mexican A team um, after our A team beat a Mexican A team. Like this is now the U.S. are our top dogs of Concacaf, uh, and like. This means this. There's a greater conversation to be had than that was just a really fun tournament and a fun final. Like, is, is this some sign that American soccer has returned to some place atop this region, and that you know all the stress and everything that we've been feeling leading up to World Cup qualifying, that maybe it's you know maybe this team is this this program right now is in a better spa- a better space than we even realized and that world cup qualifying may not be the stressful experience that we're all preparing for. Look, I, I, I think first of all, if you're cautious, you're right to be cautious. Tournaments are often we've seen it self-contained things. You know, they're not guarantors of success down the line. Um, you can get a feeling, a group of players together and all the, the, the luck and the, the, the roller coaster ride of a tournament can carry you all the way through. Um, but I think this program is, is genuinely in a much better spot. I think depth-wise is crucial. So we'll take March 20. You, you want to you push forward. So let's go to next spring, March 24, 22nd. 20, the, the, um, it, it's March 24th or the 22nd. That's to be decided. But we're going to be in the Azteca Stadium against Mexico. And how do we take from last night what we can hope will happen in this game? Well, you can take... For example, if we have players or if there are, you know, uh, injuries, suspensions, we can look at the players that played last night. Can they can they handle a partisan crowd? I mean, that was a home game for Mexico last night. One hundred percent amazing atmosphere in Las Vegas. From that from that standpoint, have we players that can stand up who can survive that kind of atmosphere against the top quality Mexican team? Yes, we have. That's what was proven from last night. That's that's as far as I would would take it going into the future. Yeah, I, I think I, I mostly agree with that. I think what we've learned from this tournament is that we we kind of are waking up today thinking like, oh, like we have depth to this squad now that I'm not sure we knew we had a month ago. Um, and I think that is vitally important. Whether or not that means that World Cup qualifying won't once again be a stressful experience, I'm not willing no. to say that. I still no. believe that like, you know, the, these away games at Honduras, you know, places like that are, are still just going to be, they're just going to be tricky. And like, I, I now feel better about the idea of, okay, if somebody picks up a knock with their club team, we have guys who can come in and, and do the job and hopefully not, you know, have us feeling some kind of major drop off, which 
wasn't something we could necessarily say in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I still, I don't know. There's still this uh, humbling effect from the last cycle of world cup qualifying that I, <laughs> that I don't know how many gold cups or CONCACAF nations leagues we would have to win for, for that to evaporate within me. I think I'll just ultimately have to see this team qualify. By the way, your, your, your feeling within you is probably the same feeling that Greg Berhalter has. He's not stupid enough to know that the whole shooting match has yet to begin. And by the way, that's, that's healthy. That's the right feeling. Like don't, no one in this program better be getting complacent with these wins. Feel good. Certainly celebrate it for the, for the next few days. Be proud of what has been achieved here uh, and use this going forward as, as some kind of building block to instill confidence. Look at what you guys did. Like you're good players. You can compete with anybody, uh, but do not get complacent. That would be a grave error for anyone in, in this U.S. soccer setup to make. 100%. And, uh, and that's where we're at right now. I'm, I'm not going to uh, project too much further into the future. Uh, I don't have too much else on this, JJ. Uh, it was... No, uh, I, I, I just wanted to say that I don't want it to get lost in the mix how, how impressed I've been at times with, with Matthew Hoppy and, and how he can come in and impact this team. And it's been very good for him to come to the side uh, of a, you know a good introduction to, to professional senior professional club football with, with Schalke and to come into the national team and get some runs in the side. I think that's been, been really, really good. But other than that, I have nothing, nothing else to say, Andrew, on this anyway. Yeah, uh, what a fun Gold Cup tournament this turned out to be. A lot of late show performances for the U.S. I mean, going back, you know, quarterfinal, semifinal, final. Um, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't always a thing of beauty. But the fact that this team showed that kind of character and grit and was able to grind out some of these results and to have it culminate on that stage against against that team, that was uh, man, that wound up being a lot of fun. So props to, to Triple G all the way on down to every player in that roster, um, because this was this was something that these guys should, you know, this should stick with them uh, for a while, what they achieved here. Um before we get out, JJ, it does bear mentioning. I mean, right now it's Monday morning and the U.S. women have crashed out of the Olympics at the semifinal stage against Team Canada. Uh, all in all, you know, we don't have to go too deep on this. Um, from what I was able to gather from this game, um, it, didn't, you know, it didn't look like Canada really generated a ton. Um, but the U S women, for whatever reason, I, I, it still remains somewhat unclear to me. I'm sure there will be a lot of unpacking of what went wrong here. Um, but for whatever reason, you keep kind of hearing things about a lack of, of chemistry devoid of chemistry, which is such a, an odd thing to hear about this team. And, um, you know, certainly their manager will have to answer a lot of questions about that. Um, but you know, while, while Canada didn't generate a ton, uh, they were able to win that penalty and, they did just enough defensively because the U.S., for whatever their attacking prowess is, um, they had a, they saw a lot of the possession. But in terms of great quality scoring chances, yeah, there were a few headers. One went off the bar. Um, another nice near post save from a Julie Ertz header. But there was not. There just wasn't a ton. And that was kind of you know this from minute one in the first game against Sweden. This just kind of looked like a tournament that was not going to result in gold. And I think we, you know, there was some thought I know Alex Morgan had said once the U S got out of the group stage, okay, the tournament begins now, but you know, Mm -hmm. maybe it was maybe what we saw in the group stage and some of the struggles there was always going to be a sign of what was to come. Uh, I don't know. This was, this was a bit of a head scratcher. I'll be curious to kind of hear from some of the, the players involved in the coming days as to what they think went wrong here. 
Well, in the group stages, Andrew, they only won one game. I mean, in this whole tournament, they only won one game uh, in reg- in normal time, in normal play. So, I mean, that in and of itself is is concerning. And outside the shellacking of New Zealand, I mean, they scored two goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not. I mean, this is a team that's we would imagine going into the tournament will be high on offensive creativity, and it's not the case. Uh, they've just not clicked. It was it was interesting to listen to Megan Rapino after uh, the one 0 defeat to Canada this morning. We don't have the juice. The ball's banging off our shins, and we're not finding open passes, and we're not doing the simple things. So, I mean, we can deep dive into analyzing, and I know we will. Um, some kind of disconnect, some kind of chemistry. If you look at the squad, you look at the players, you look at the midfield, Mewis and Lavelle, Julie Ertz, look at the attack, look at the options. I mean, one of the things you've got to, and it's been pointed out on Twitter this morning, is, is to the age profile of some of the players, including uh, the aforementioned Rapino. And Carly Lloyd, who Andrew Das tweeted a picture of Lloyd doing wind sprints at the Kashima Stadium after the game, mm. which is something I'm sure, like I've seen a lot of players do that at the end of the game. If they, it's usually when you get limited minutes, um, you're often taken out to do a, a more fulsome uh, kind of workout and then, and then cool down. But interesting to see her do that. Um, I'm sure, look, there's a bronze medal to be played for. That's in their minds. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's an, there's a, I feel as if the toughest job for Vlako Andonovsky right now is to, is to find a way to slowly but surely move on from a lot of the players that are here. Not all of them, not all at once, but to start a, a process of renewal. And that's really tricky considering that they're, they're not just players as we've seen um, culturally and 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 socially, they're they're icons, and I I wouldn't like to be in his shoes right now. Yeah, um, and, and that was something that I was thinking about because I remember before the tournament started, you know, falsely now looking at it, I, I kind of was putting the message out there of you know American soccer fans should really try to take this experience in because this team is getting up there in age. We went through the ages of of all the key players on this team, and there's a lot in their thirties. And some, you know, getting into mid and late 30s. Uh, so we didn't know how many more opportunities there would be to watch this group play together. And it felt like this could have been maybe kind of like last call, um, you know, to be able to really enjoy them at their prime. And what we're maybe seeing now is I don't know if that's the sole reason, but maybe last call happened already. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe what happened at the, uh, at the Women's World Cup, that could have been it. You know, we, we talk about Macario. We talk about Lynn Williams. There's there's players that that want to get in, that want to be regular starters, and that are twa- like top quality players. Oh so, yeah. So how do you bring on? How do you shuffle gently out the door the the other quality players and and give and give the newer younger crop a chance? Um. And and that's Vlako's job, and it's it's it it really is tough from from a number of angles. Yeah. Um, so as you know, in the coming days, we'll do another podcast, I'm guessing later in this week. Um, 
And so maybe yes. we'll maybe in the time since, you know, who knows what sort of unpacking will go on with what played out there. So we'll, we'll get into that more, but this was really supposed to be more of a, uh, a celebratory podcast after uh, last night's gold cup final, the USJJ champions of the gold cup. And in pretty stunning fashion, this was fun. My friend, I mean, you, you got anything else here? I'm about to get back to uh, my anniversary weekend. No. And I don't want to keep you any, any, any longer, but I, I, you know, I feel it's my job being the guy that I am to, you know, maybe sour the anniversary somewhat with uh, some Harry Kane talk. (laughs) So, so let me do two things quickly and and I'm sure we'll get it. We will get into these over, over the coming days because uh, the sagas are really Kane and Grealish. So I'm going to give you a saga update uh, from what we learned over the weekend. Uh, Aston Villa reportedly turned down a 100 million uh, pound sterling offer for Jack Grealish, an offer for Manchester City that would have made him um, the most expensive British signing of of all time. Um, so, so that that's something. Um, and uh, as for the reports this morning uh, across a couple of more than a couple of outlets saying that Harry Kane has refused or has not turned up for training this morning as he's supposed to. That is not the case. Uh, Football 365 qualified that by saying, no, 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 no. Harry Kane was not scheduled to start preseason training with Tottenham until Tuesday. He has not turned up for COVID testing and other related checks. It is an important distinction to make at a time when information and context is otherwise lacking. If Kane is not at training tomorrow when he is planned to be, then go for it. But until then, it's probably best not to. Uh, I mean, in my mind, he's, I don't know, right or wrong, in my mind, he's gone. And this is all just like we're playing out some kind of grand negotiation tactics right now. I think he, no, but but he's not meant to be in today. I think, no, 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 yeah. I I think he'll be in training tomorrow. I think so too. But I, but I, it doesn't change my viewpoint on how badly he wants a move to happen. And we'll see, I guess, how desperate Manchester City become to make that move happen. Because really, the I think it's on them. I think Tottenham would be willing to let Kane go if Man City meet the price that they feel is fair. Now, maybe Tottenham's price is, is ridiculous. Um, but quite frankly, like with what Kane contributed to this Tottenham team last year, their price should be ridiculous. He's like clearly the most important player on this team. So... Can I ask I you one I'm question? I'm so over the saga already, and and who knows? There could be a lot left of it. It's just annoying. Oh yeah, yeah. Can I? I mean, according to Fabrizio Romano, I, I'm going to switch switch off Kane for now. But according to Fabrizio Romano, the, the Jack Grealish uh, transfer, and not just him, a couple of people are saying it's moving along or it's going through its stages or whatever. Um, I just wonder: Are we going to see something absolutely magical here? where there's four years left on, on Grealish's contract at Aston Villa and he is given an improved deal by Aston Villa and he stays. And we see this amazing kind of amazing and rare uh, just distortion of, of everything that football has become where, where a guy who just is a boyhood villain just loves the club and the club and him find a way for him to stay would not be magical that would be cool um not something we're used to seeing and never see yeah we'll see what uh we'll see what actually happens with that i just wonder if manchester city how like i don't mean to say how can they afford it i know how they can afford it but the thought of them bringing in kane and Grealish in one window without really having relinquished anyone 
um, at least not at this yeah, point. Okay. Now, now, should they get those two guys in? I, I got to believe somebody will be going out the other direction. But like, who could it be? Like, it's just such a extraordinary. I mean, we thought what what Manchester United did uh, with um, their two signings in this window, like we thought that was an extraordinary amount to to lay out without really letting someone go. I mean, God, the financial might of City if this happens with both of those players coming in at over a hundred million, which they both I would think would be certainly Kane. Uh, just like, wow, it's just something kind of just, I don't know, disheartening about that. Yep. Well, it's been disheartening decade if you <laughs> delve into it. We found no, a way. Let's not do that now. We All found right. a way, JJ, to end this podcast on just a Debbie Downer of a note. That's uh... <laughs> no. No, let's let's end it in the proper way. I want everyone to imagine Andrew in his hotel room with a bottle of beer pumping the air and destroying the carpet uh, with his beer after Miles Robinson's goal. That is the image we will leave this on. Yeah. I had my own personal tra- trophy raising ceremony last night at about two 45 in this hotel room. It was awesome. uh, scenes of pure joy. This was fun. This gold cup tournament wound up being fun and props to this team and this manager because they, <laughs> we didn't, we weren't sure it was going to go like this and it did. And God, what a, what a feeling it was. Everybody enjoy it. and You'll blink your eyes. And before you know it, we'll be in World Cup qualifying because that's coming up. It's like a month, month and a half. So it doesn't stop. It does not stop. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, champion. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 